since I don't know what taciturn means, I guess that's okay and I'll be all right. And uh, uh, when you are the only pastor, you are the senior pastor, you're the associate pastor, you're the assistant pastor, and I'm the only one here. So thank you for that warm introduction. I would love to meet you. If I haven't met you, uh, I would love to. Maybe in our intermission or after tonight. Let's get ready to receive um, God's word. You hear it read. I will try by God's grace to speak his word tonight. And let's prepare with just a time of silence and prayer and uh, opening our hearts to the Lord. We are in the Gospel of John for the entire year, and last week Dave White got things started by preaching on the prologue, the first 18 verses of this take on the life of Jesus, what he did, what he taught, and now really we get into the the stories of his life, the events of his life, and reading from John chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, I'm going to read through Verse 34, John 1, verses 19 through 34. Now this was John's testimony. When the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize? If you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him, except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God.
John the Baptist uh, that that story was about is not the John who wrote the gospel. The John who wrote the gospel is John the disciple. John the Baptist is another figure. All right, I do want to talk about Tim Tebow. What do you, what's your take on him? I have uh, resisted in, in, in uh, the rest of this church to say anything, to blog anything, to write anything, to preach anything about Tim Tebow for weeks now. But I just can't, I, I just can't stop anymore. I have got to say something. Um, some people have tried to bait me. I've stood firm. For those of you who could care less about professional football, and I envy you if you do, <laughs> just the lack of frustration and personal pain that, that um, you experience. But uh, if you don't know, Tim Tebow is a star football player for the Denver Broncos football team. And uh, he is been having a tremendously successful year until last night when his team lost and they are now done for the season. I want to thank Colin and the New England Patriots for doing us all great justice and ridding us of this whole movement for at least another few months. But Tim Tebow is a devout uh, evangelical Christian. And before, during, after games, he... Um, kneels down in prayer to God as a way of expressing his faith for all to see. Um, he's fervent about speaking about Christ anytime a mic is put in front of his face. And some Christians think he's just wonderful. Some think that uh, Tim Tebow should be up for sainthood because of his Christian witness. And they just love how he's using his stardom as a platform for Christ. Others? are put off by this, what has come to be known as T-bowing. Uh, now, being a card-carrying member of the Oakland Raider Nation <laughs> and a Christian, it's been tough to live through this and just watch it happen. It has stretched the very depths of my already limited self-control. Just to be very brief, this is my comment. If other athletes can kind of grandstand um, in a kind of a brash, arrogant, self-aggrandizing way, and sometimes in quite some colorless ways, then why can't Tim Tebow express his faith in this way? However, I wonder if this Tebowing um, for the cameras and hanging the name of Christ on his passing performance is really about Christ or is it about Tim Tebow? And honestly, I don't know. And I can't make that call. And you know what? I don't really care. I've got other things to think about. You've got other things to think about. But whether right or wrong, Tim Tebow, he's trying to be a witness for Christ. And each week, he, in essence, is giving his testimony to who Christ is in his life. Testimonies are big in certain Christian circles, uh, particularly in more evangelical circles. You hear testimonies a lot. The word testimony is especially a big word here in Utah, where it has a whole other set of connotations um, with the LDS church. It's a staple there. Some people's testimony, most people's testimony, is an account of how they've encountered Jesus Christ in some way in their life. When someone gives their testimony, they often tell personal stories, how they came to faith or how Christ became real to them. Sometimes a person's personal testimony can come very close, though, 
to glorifying and pointing to themselves more than pointing to Christ. I have heard, you've probably heard, those times of sharing, those times uh, of of talking um, when really I came away left knowing more about that person than I did about Jesus. And uh, our speaking about the Lord can easily just become a platform for us really speaking about ourselves. Have to be careful. Well, this passage that we just read, that we just heard about John the Baptist, I think teaches those who belong to Jesus, those who belong to Jesus, how to be right witnesses for Christ. It teaches us how we should think about ourselves, how we should speak about ourselves, and how we should speak about the Lord. John the Baptist, to me, is the best model for Christian witness. Now, each of the four Gospels give John the Baptist before they give us Jesus. John the Baptist is um, introduced right at the beginning of John. If you, if you read the prologue in the sixth verse of the whole Gospel of John, John, the, 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 the writer, introduces us to John the Baptist by telling us there was a man sent from God whose whole life was to witness, to testify to the light, who was Jesus, so that all may believe. Just as in boxing, if you're familiar with boxing, there's always an undercard before the main event. Just as in a concert, there's always an opening act before the main act takes the stage. So for Jesus, John the Baptist is essential in setting him up in coming first. And we're going to find John hanging around in this gospel until about the fourth chapter. He's no small figure for Jesus. John the Baptist is no small figure in any of the gospels. In fact, if you put everything that he did and everything that John the Baptist said and you collected it all, you could make a small book. It would probably be bigger than other books of the Bible. He's a very important figure. And John the writer begins his account of Jesus with the life of John the Baptist when uh, Jewish leaders come to grill John about who he is. Who are you, they ask. Who are you? Now, why would people care so much about John? Well, John was huge at this time. He had a huge following. He had his own set of disciples. John the Baptist had his own kind of teaching, his sermons. Um, There's a whole community of people, kind of an early uh, monastic community that lived in caves and in the desert called the Essenes, who came from John the Baptist. And in essence, they followed him. John was huge. He was their man. And so the... Baptist John is really stirring the pudding because he is preaching radical sermons. He's calling the whole nation of Israel, all the Jews, to national repentance. After all, they're the chosen people of God. Why do they need to repent? He is telling people, you know, you need to do a major change in your life. As a matter of fact, you need to confess your sins. You need to cleanse yourself by going through the ritual of baptism. Who does John think he is? And so they want to know, who are you? And John gives his testimony. says it three or four times there. He gives his witness. Now, testimony and witness are legal words. Those are words that we hear in courts where there are um, prosecutors and defendants and accusations and evidence and judgments. And in one sense, John's gospel is Jesus being put on trial by the world. Um, Throughout John, 
Jesus is put on trial. People will ask. He, he will talk about who he is, where he came from, what he stands for. And if he's the real deal. And words like testimony, words like judgment, words like truth, words like believe, come up again and again and again in John's gospel. Interestingly, John the Baptist defines himself when they ask him, who are you? Not by who he is, but by who he isn't. As a matter of fact, in those verses, John gives three statements of who he is not. Three I am not statements. And he gives three I am this statements. He first answers, well, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Christ. Which is a good answer. In fact, I think, I think any follower of Jesus should probably wake up first thing in the morning and say that in the mirror to ourselves. You know what? I am not the Messiah. We might think we are. We might think we're in control. We might think we have quite a bit going for us and a lot of wisdom and a lot of authority. We might try to tiptoe on stage once in a while, but you know what? We're not the main show. John answered this way because a lot of attention was being given to him because he was, so many people were following him and, and it was maybe leading people to think, well, maybe he's the Messiah that is to come. He denied it. So they asked, well, then are you Elijah? Why Elijah? Because in the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, the Lord says, before the great day, before my great day, when I come, I'm going to send Elijah again before you. Um, as a matter of fact, the Jews, when they have every year the Passover meal, Jewish people still leave an empty place setting and chair at the table for Elijah as they still expect him to come to be the forerunner for the Messiah. John says, I'm not Elijah, which is interesting because later on Jesus will say this. If you are willing to accept it, John is the Elijah who is to come. <laughs> Someone's two different things. John did not understand himself as being Elijah. Well, they continue to question John. If you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, then are you the prophet? In Deuteronomy, Moses said a day would come when the Lord would send a prophet who would speak just like Moses, who would speak the very words of God. His mouth would have the very words of the Lord in it, the prophet. Are you the prophet, John? No, I'm not. Three statements about who he is not. And I think there's some wisdom in that. Because sometimes one of the best ways to know who we are is to know who we're not. It's foolish to boast. It's foolish to overestimate ourselves, to tell somebody or people that, to pretend to be what we aren't, someone we aren't. Can't lie about who we are. Can't lie about what we're like. And John was clear on that. He says, I know who I'm not. That's a gift if you know who you're not. My brother-in-law, Dave, lives down in uh, beautiful Manhattan Beach, California. It's a beautiful area if you've ever been down there. And, and he does well. He, um, he does well. He has a nice, they built a nice, beautiful house down there, large house, huge house. He's married. He has four young kids, um, ages nine and under. And a good friend of his, I'll call him Paul, um, who is in his 40s. Paul's in his 40s. He is just desperate to get married. This guy's desperate for a woman in his life. And he has been searching for a long time. We tell stories about Paul, about all, his, all the things he does to try to get hitched. And uh, he had a date with a woman 
we was very interested in, wanted to really impress her. And um, so one night, we happened to be there. Paul shows up at Dave's house, all dressed up, really looking nice. And there was nothing going on. He hadn't been invited over. And Paul came in, and he said to Dave, he said that he had told his date to meet him that night at Dave's house and to pick him up there so that she would think that's where he lived. And that's his house. And, 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 and she would get the impression, you know, Paul does really well. And by the way, would you keep the kids in the basement when she comes over? Well, that's not who he was. He was lying to this woman. He was putting on a front. Couldn't say, this is who I'm not. Churches sometimes do the same things. You know, sometimes churches, we think, churches are places where we're supposed to be nice. Now, churches, certainly love and kindness and compassion are things we're supposed to do, but nowhere do you read in the Bible that the word nice doesn't even show up. Sometimes, if churches are going to be truth-telling communities, we've got to be not nice. John wasn't always nice in the things he said. Jesus wasn't always nice in the things he said. The church doesn't exist to be liked or to be approved of at all costs. We exist for the Messiah, who has placed a call on us with his cross and his resurrection. Can't lie about who we are. Can't lie about who God is or the life that he calls us to. And sometimes you have to talk about things like sin and, and uh, death and the need for forgiveness. G.K. Chesterton said, a man who has faith must be prepared to not only be a martyr, but to be a fool. And by the way, that applied to John the Baptist. He was both of those things. He was a martyr, and many people saw him as a fool. We can't lie about who we are. Let's be clear about who we're not. Let's know our limitations. It will help us to be clear then about who indeed we are. They still don't have a satisfactory answer from John because all he's saying is who he is not. They need to go back to headquarters with an answer. So finally, they say to John, tell us who you are. And he gives them three statements now about who he is. He says, first, okay, I am the voice of one crying in the desert, as Isaiah said. Make straight the way of the Lord. Isaiah's sermons were all about preparing the way for the Messiah. John says, I am that person. Second, he says, I am one who baptizes with water. To be baptized with water was only done to Gentiles, non-Jewish people who were considered unclean, if they wanted to convert to Judaism. The fact that John came and said even Jews need to be baptized was also it was just like a, an insult, a slap in the face. I, again, he wasn't particularly being nice. He was just telling the truth. And he says, I am the one who comes baptizing with water. And third, he says, and this is, this is the statement that gets me, he says, I am unworthy to stoop down and untie the thong of the Messiah's sandals. That's who I am. Now, he, actually, he says, I am not worthy. And you say, Phil, that's a fourth I am not statement. Well, I changed it to say, I am unworthy. That way I can have three I am not statements and three I am statements. So that's why I did that. And by the way, for those of you who are 40 or younger, uh, a thong used to mean something different than what it means to you. And uh, talk to somebody over 40 at intermission. 
and I'll explain that to you. I am not worthy to tie his sandals for him. I am not worthy to tie his sandals for him. By the way, that's a statement that all four Gospels attribute to John. It is consistent in his preaching and clearly something that everybody always remembered John said again and again and again. I am not worthy to even touch the sandals of this man. It is a statement of humility. It is a statement of feeling totally inadequate, totally wrecked, totally unable before Christ. And it's a statement that I think any authentic Christian needs to be able to make. We are not worthy to preach his word. We are not worthy to sing to him. We are not worthy to take his name upon our lips. We're not worthy to teach. We're not worthy to serve. We're not worthy to do anything for him. But it is those who are overwhelmed with Christ who are undergirded by him. It is those who sense their unworthiness who are exactly the ones he considers worthy. I hope you have a very high view of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the next day, John sees Jesus coming and he points to him and he says, there he is. Look, he says to everybody, look, and he points, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want to tell you about that statement because literally in that statement, there are five definite articles in there. Literally, it reads like this. John said, look, the Lamb of the God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. John does not say he is, Jesus is just one Lamb among many from one of many gods sent as one of a number of liberators from only some of the sin for only part of the world. John's testimony is the, 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 the. He is the only one. By the way, take away, takes away. Literally, that, that should better read, is taking away. Jesus takes away, is taking away our sin, the sin of the world. He clears away all that hides us from the face of God. Just, just like the winds come in and blow away the, the gunk and the brown air and, and, and that stuff in our inversions. So Jesus comes and clears away everything that can stand between us and God and the face of God. And that's our relief. It's a relief to me that I can face God and that God can look at me and that I no longer have anything between me and God because Jesus takes that away. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We live in this relief. We are to witness to that relief. That's part of our witness. That's part of our testimony. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. He says, our witness is that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. That's our message. We don't care whether this particular church is true or not. I could care less. I don't care whether you think I'm a good pastor or a bad pastor, a good preacher or a bad preacher. That's not the point. Our witness is Christ and who he is 
and what he's done. He's the issue. And John says, my testimony is that this is the Son of God. Not who I am, not what I've done, but this is the Son of God. And that's what those who are serious about Christ keep doing. We just keep pointing to the Lamb. We may not always do it well. We don't have to do it perfectly, but we keep pointing to Him. And I think it takes great courage and guts to do that sometimes. We need to pray for the gift of guts to speak the truth when it's given to us. doesn't mean we need to be rude. doesn't mean to be disrespectful. doesn't mean we are to be obnoxious. But we need to pray for the guts to speak the truth that, you know what, we all stand guilty before God. And we stand in need of the Lamb of God who is taking away the sin of the world. And you know, those who feel the weight of their sin, those who feel the weight of their brokenness, those who feel the weight of their failure, and are tired of carrying the burdens and are seeking relief, those words are going to be good news. There are a lot of people, what John said, oh, it was It was good news to them because his words were bringing the weary and the worn out to the Redeemer. Jesus' life, Jesus' words are good news to those who are weary and who are worn out. And until you come to a place where you're weary and worn out, it probably won't mean anything. When churches point to the forgiveness that we have in Christ, the good news, I think people are moved to believe and experience that great relief that we have in God. You know, every time we share in the Lord's Supper together, the the bread and the cup, we remember that, we claim that. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus charged all of his followers to go out into the world and to be his witnesses. One of the dangers of people who take Christ very seriously is that we can think too high of ourselves and we think we are the point. And the trick of Christian witness, I think, is to not point to ourselves, but to be able to show Christ. We are not the show. Christ is the show. The trick is for people to get a better idea of him, not a better idea of us. Our point and our purpose is the Lord. The message comes from outside of us. It comes from beyond us. We are all, I think, to be John the Baptists, pointing away from ourselves, pointing to the Lamb of God, the Son of God, who is Jesus Christ, pointing to all that he has done, pointing to all that he gives, pointing to all that he offers us and to everybody else in this world. Let's pray. God, give us something of the mantle and the spirit of John the Baptist. Tell the truth before this world that so needs reconciliation with you. We pray that we would be people who give a testimony and a witness, not about ourselves, but about the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.